And, and I asked him, well, what do you want to achieve by working together? And he said, well, I want to live forever. And, and, you know, I, and I, and at that moment in time, I was like, yeah, pfft, you know, and part of me started to go like, oh boy. And then I went, you know, why not? That everyone is Dr. David Hossey. He's a double board certified physician, family medicine, holistic medicine. He's a doctor, teacher, entrepreneur, innovator, and he runs the Maxwell Clinic. And at the Maxwell Clinic, they do a ton of incredible longevity services like regenerative plasma exchange, IV therapies, neurofeedback, metabolic detoxification. And in this episode, we talk a lot about therapeutic plasma exchange, and that's extracting blood plasma out of your body, blood out of your body, taking out the plasma, doing a bunch of stuff to it, and then putting it back into your body. Really cutting edge stuff that is stuff I'd never heard of before. And it really keys in on three main areas, autoimmune disease, neurodegeneration, and longevity, treating longevity as the goal. And so this is right in the bullseye for biohacking and some of the procedures that he does are pretty incredible. And the way that he thinks about the organs, the body as an entire system. In this episode, we talk about starting regeneration processes earlier in your life so that you can extend your longevity. He also says you're as old as your oldest organ system. It's pretty cool because I think that as we get older, in the next 10, 20, 30 years, there's gonna be more and more people that are doing procedures like this to stay young and healthy and vibrant. And it's cool to know about this stuff now to be at the cutting edge. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I, I wanna know about all the options out there. I'm not gonna do every single thing. I'm not gonna take every supplement, you know? I'm not gonna do every cleanse, but I wanna just know what the options are. And in this episode, we talk about a, really, a bunch of really cool stuff that I know you're gonna find fascinating. Before we jump into this episode, I just wanna say thank you to X3 Bar. X3 Bar is my favorite workout equipment, my favorite workout of all time. Uh, I don't like to run, I like to exercise quickly, and I do it in 10 minutes a day six days a week and it has totally changed my physique and my strength so you can go to x3bar.com and use the code opp for 50 dollars off it will be the last piece of exercise equipment that you'll ever need in your whole entire life i love it it's super awesome okay everybody thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the optimal performance podcast i'm excited to share this with, with this this shorter episode with you because i think it's really good and the information is kind of mind-blowing so ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Dr. David Hasse. Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. And we're here with Dr. David Hossey, who is the founder and medical director at the Maxwell Clinic. He's the author of Curiosity Heals the Human. Dr. Hossey, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Hey, Sean. Good to be here. First and foremost, you know, I just before we turned the mics on, I said, hey, you know, these listeners will know what, what plasma is. And because I did a podcast on uh, uh, PRP and you said, well, that's not how that's one use of, of plasma. That's not exactly how we approach it. Can you unpack 
your approach to uh, to plasma, please. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the field I'm uh, qualified in is in it's a called apheresis. Uh, apheresis is actually where you separate, you bring blood out of the body somehow, you process it in some way, and you put it back in. And uh, you can, and that's the process of apheresis. And one of the major components of the blood is, of course, the plasma, which is the liquid part of the blood. It's the, you know, if you put blood in a centrifuge and spin it down, all the cells are really heavy and they go to the bottom. And what stays up at the top is the liquid part, which is the plasma. And uh, that plasma contains a whole host of really interesting substances. It is kind of the interface between our outside world and our inside world, right? You know, it's, you think about what makes up your plasma, it's kind of everything that you've either put on your skin, you've put in your gut, or you've breathed it in through your lungs. Hmm. And it's the grand interface between you and all your innermost parts. And so with apheresis, especially plasmapheresis, um, this is where we pull blood out of your body, uh, put it through a centrifuge in real time, uh, and can separate out the red cells, the white cells, and platelets from this liquid part of the blood. And either throw that liquid part of the blood away and replace it with a replacement fluid, do an oil change on the body, uh, and uh, or um, any number of other um, any number of other interventions. But yeah, apheresis is a fascinating field. It has all kinds of interesting applications that most people are unaware of. Uh, and um, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Fun. All the way from neurodegeneration to, uh, st you know, stimulating body-wide stem cell activity to reversing autoimmune disease. It's a, a, a really robust and interesting field. How do you determine when, when someone comes to you, they know what you do, they're interested in, in, in doing therapeutic plasma exchange, what's sort of the process of someone who's, who's interested in this, in this therapy? Like what, how do you decide how to approach each individual? Yeah. So there are really three big buckets of individuals that would qualify for something like therapeutic plasma exchange. The first bucket is that, that group of individuals who has a severe autoimmune disease that's not being treated by anything else effectively. Mm. Things like multiple sclerosis or neuromyelitis optica um, or uh, myasthenia gravis, where there's some antibodies floating in that plasma that are binding to a receptor or another part of the body in, in, in amounts that are turning on the immune system and causing a feed forward inflammatory response or some kind of a dysfunction in the body, right? And so simply we treat that via dilution. You know, if you can pull out enough of the plasma that's containing these toxic antibodies to the body, then there's less of a injurious load of hmm. those antibodies there. So that's, that's one big bucket, which is a people with severe autoimmune disease that um, medications or dietary changes and all the other things aren't working for. The second big bucket for therapeutic plasma exchange uh, has become this really fascinating field of neurodegeneration. Uh, the AMBAR study, which we can go into more later, is a remarkable study. Yeah, it's, it's a, it, with as far as the field of apheresis, it's one of the largest studies ever done in the field. Hmm. And it was shown to um, 
decrease the progression of moderate Alzheimer's disease by nearly 60% over the course of 14 months. Below the mind weight. I mean, there's nothing that comes close to this. And this is a very large multinational, multi-center, randomized, placebo-controlled, sham-controlled trial. Uh, it was really, really well done. So we're going to come back to that and talk about neurodegeneration and plasma exchange because it's a paradigm shifter. And once you understand it, you kind of get so many things about what creates health. And then the third big bucket of uh, regenerative plasma exchange is really this uh, is biohacking is, you know, how do you actually treat longevity as a goal? How do you recognize that aging is our most common comorbidity uh, of, of everything? And can we alter the aging cascade? You know, how can we shift the biologic processes that we call aging? Can we turn the clock back? And there's, a, there's some really fascinating basic science that supports this strongly um, in mouse models and petri dish models, because we know that stem cells tend to act the age of their environment. So if you put young stem cells in an old environment, they're going to act old. If you put old stem cells in a young environment, they're going to act young. Hmm. And if you can do that, you modify. This is really the basis of lifestyle medicine, right? Yeah. You, know, you, you just don't put crap in your body regularly. You, you keep your, quote, plasma clean. And your stem cells have a healthier environment to live in. And they're actually going to express a younger phenotype. Hmm. And we see this in cell cultures. And we know that you know the fluid we surround cells with in a cell culture greatly determines their effect, greatly determines how they live, how they function, what they can do, are they growing and being productive citizens of the, uh, of the cell culture, or are they, are they somehow zombies? You know, that all, that all depends upon their environment. So yes, these three buckets, autoimmune disease, neurodegeneration, and uh, the you know, potential reversal of the factors that lead to aging. Yeah. Awesome. So one thing that, that, that I want to kind of key in on was the starting point, which is to pull out the bad plasma. Mm -hmm. How much us in the biohacking world, we know that it's good to donate blood because then you yes. make new fresh blood, right? You got same, it. Same concept. If you pull out old plasma, just as a, even if you don't spin it in a centrifuge and put it back in, you're doing yourself a favor. We believe so. You know, uh, we're, we're engaged in some really quite remarkable research looking at, um, you know, high throughput, uh, full scale, single cell RNA transcriptomics and some, some methylation pattern assessment uh, of biologic age, uh, glycation assessment patterning. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of different ways we can assess is somebody older or, you know, what's going on with their biologic age and how do we assess that moving forward? And I think that there's, um, I think this is our hard part, you know, understanding what is the dose? You know, when somebody sits in a chair, does one have a full plasma exchange done? I mean, would you, would we remove the equivalent of all the plasma you started with, which for a guy your size, yeah, it'd probably be like about three and a half liters mm -hmm. and you know, three and a half liters of plasma would be yeah. removed. And that is, um, uh, you know, and that would be kind of a considered a, a, 
a full exchange. Uh, and But it may be one and a half times when we have individuals with severe autoimmune disease and, and we need to actually remove, you know, like one and a half times their original plasma they started with. And um, so that uh, that's really where the subtlety of all this comes in. And I'm, I'm, I've been a pioneer in personalized systems medicine. We're really fascinated with what makes an individual tick and, and how do we best discern what is wise and works for that person. I'm a strong believer that there's really not a single dose. You know, the pharmaceutical industry loves to work on blockbuster status, yeah. right? Okay, here, here is this single molecule introduced into a broad population is going to have a meaningful effect because that's amazing for share valuation, right? Right, right, <laughs> right. yeah. But, but you know, but, but, it's, it, but it's challenging when you really start thinking about physiology and, um especially the physiology of aging, because I look at it that aging is really a multiple common systems failure. It's a feed forward. It's a little bit like an avalanche, right? Once that starts rolling down, you start gaining a momentum, 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 and it gets harder and harder to slow it down the more, the more uh, degeneration is in, in place. So I'm sorry, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but to me to, to step back and say, hey, let's be really curious about what are the underlying factors that are perpetuating the age factor. Let's make sure you're taking care of those things. And also, if we can remove the plasma that is representing an old phenotype and replace it either with a neutral fluid, you know, something like albumin, um, or consider other options. Are there other you know, the, 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 there's such a broad range of compounds that are available for study now. I mean, that's, that's the question about like what works and whom, when, and we're yeah. only going to know that through um, study of individuals. I'm a little curious about uh, the biological age thing because I've done some episodes on it. Um, based on your experience, what are the best indicators? Is it telomeres? Is it, is it glycan? Like what, maybe you don't want to say the one thing that's your favorite, but what do you think is the best indicator for, for actual biological age? Um, unfortunately, the answer is all of the above. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, because, and it really is, which one is the worst off is the one I believe. Mm. Okay. So, because think of it in this way, you know, how you're really as old as your oldest organ system. Hmm. When we, kind of think about what age means well um you know if your if your blood vessels are unhealthy but the rest of your body is amazing you know you know you're likely going to be dead <laughs> you know if your liver is super old and you know and the rest of you is fine well that's your just a chain is only as strong as its weakest link and so i think people get a false sense of security when they do one of these tests I mean, hey, they're expensive. So I'm not, I recognize there's a barrier here to the dollars required to get comprehensive information. Um, some people, uh, you know, assign their resources that way and other people don't and some people can't, but really ideally is to look at all of the factors, which is really fascinating because I think that the, you know, the mechanisms of glycan associated aging are not the same mechanisms that are expressed via um, DNA methylation pattern aging. 
So we one has to step back and say, huh, why why is this occurring? Hmm. And 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 the problem is with all of these tests is I think we're going to get to more and more substances that kind of hack the test and go, wow, we can make that test look better. Like for instance, you know, with DNA methylation pattern testing, you know, there are some people who really like respond well to EGCG, you know, green tea extracts, because those really shift the DNA methylation enzymes uh, and their expression patterns. And, um, and, and it's fascinating. Some, there are some hyper responders and some moderate or, or non-responders. So I'm sorry, you know, the, the challenge is here, we're still, anybody that says we have this figured out, you know, yeah. run screaming from them right? Yeah, right. because there's a lot of, you know, we're in, in a nascent field, but man, are we just, we're so far further than we were 10 years ago trying to trying to engage this in a meaningful way well it's but, it, so so like yeah. telomeres but i but i will say telomeres it matters like what telomere test you have i mean i i use life length out of france and and i use them because they give you not just your average telomere length but they'll also give you your histogram to say which are because you're really concerned about the what percent of very small telomeres do you have you know where you are in the middle uh, that's one piece of data but how long is your tail really matters. And then if you take a look at the shortest telomeres, what's the distribution of your shortest 20% of telomeres? That's, that's very important because those, those cells are going to be failing uh, on you soon. Those cell lines will, will collapse. So, um, so when you get in and av- people say, oh, I got my telomeres tested. Well, most tests in the US are kind of an average telomere length test. And where you can imagine if you have an intervention and that telomere length shifts upward on average, okay, wow, I'm doing a great thing, but you actually haven't affected the lowest 20% of your telomeres, then you really don't have assurance that you're getting, you're getting the results that you want. So, I mean, yeah. the, the challenge is there's just lots of little nuances and complexities here. So. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Tell me about the different the different things that can be added back in besides your own. You said albumin. What are some other things that can be put back in place of that? Well, I mean, it it just goes as far as your imagination can can go with regard to you know. There's you can certainly and and we do these things under protocols and IRB studies and such. So you know the the actual ingredients when you're looking at exosomes or stem cell products or or um, or self signaling uh, compounds, or you know, I think the challenge in this domain, especially, is what has actually happened beforehand. And I, I want to back up before we really dive into this. Let's talk more about the removal of the plasma, yeah. okay? Because I think people get way too focused on what you put into your body. When some of the most amazing therapies, such as you know fasting, are really about what you don't put in your body yeah. or what you take out of your body, those really unload your burden. And, and I think you can understand plasma exchange a little bit like you can with an extended water fast. Um, so for instance, um, you know, in a, in a typical therapeutic plasma exchange procedure, you're sitting in a, in a chair and you get a big IV put in each arm. 
Um, and that I, and that's the way it should be done. I mean, sometimes in really sick individuals, we'll have to put a big catheter in the neck, you know, cause we can't get to a blood vessel, but though that drastically increases the risk of the procedure itself. Hmm. And so then you have to start thinking, well, if somebody's doing this for health promotion, you, you don't do a procedure, you don't do something that has a high risk for negative side effects. If what you're doing, if you're already healthy and what you're trying for is a theoretical long-term benefit in your life. Right. Right. I mean, you know, that's, that's where we got, but they're really handy. Those big, those big catheters make our job as doctors easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what's really important is getting peripheral access using vein, using small veins to do this work. So anyway, you get a big vein in each, you get a big IV in each arm. Blood comes out one side and it gets mixed with an anticoagulant. And that anticoagulant makes sure that nothing gets clotted in the process. It goes through a continuously running centrifuge, runs, spins, and, um, and, and the heavy cells get separated from the plasma. The, the light plasma uh, that has a ton of proteins in it, has, cell, has cytokines, you know, cell messaging agents, has electrolytes, has toxins, has hormones, has a tremendously complex soup of products gets pulled off and, and that gets pulled out to the discard. The, the platelets, red cells and white cells are, are recovered. And then they're mixed with a pharmaceutical albumin. This is an FDA approved albumin. Um, it's a standard of care. And then that then comes back together and goes and there. So it gets mixed. So now the blood is its, its previous consistency, but hmm. it doesn't have all of the complexity. A lot has a lot has been removed, and then that goes back in the body, and it's a continuous circuit. So, after about an hour, or excuse me, after doing a full exchange, that means you've had about seventy percent, you know, sixty-five to seventy percent of the plasma you originally started with is now gone, and wow. and and so um, you have a tremendous shift in the signaling milieu. And this is where people are always thinking about, hey, what's the magic ingredient to put in? I think you're missing the story. <laughs> the most important part of this is what you've taken away. And we've been able to track some really remarkable shifts in T cell function. So the, the body's immune system waking up and going after chronic infections, you know, so that there is a, an awareness now. Uh, we, we think... Um, uh, energy goes down, and that means basically um, T cells that are asleep. We think that this this cleaner environment is causing the zombie cells, or what we call the senescent cells, um, to to give up the ghost and die. Hmm. Um, and and because it's interesting, if you really think about it, what what would you think your plasma would look like after a five day water fast, it would be pretty clean, wouldn't it? There wouldn't yeah. be a lot of compounds it would be a very stable and probably not as, not as complex of a milieu as you would uh, if you're constantly feeding. And anyway, it's a hypothesis, but, but it's very interesting to, um, as, as we're tracking the markers of what is changing with genetic expression in this transcriptome, um, we're, we're growing in our confidence about the importance of removal. Uh, and, and that's really very hopeful because removal is exceedingly safe. 
Hmm. And it's exceedingly safe and it can be reproducible. Um, and, um, and so we're, we're tracking those things. Oh, that's so, so I mean, and, and, and so as you start looking at the differential effects of doing a plasma exchange and, or, or sometimes called as, you know, plasma dilution, um, that uh, is changing how your stem cells behave. And when you change how your stem cells behave, what happens to the rest of the body? Those stem cells secrete their own exosomes and they start signaling nearby cells that, hey, it's time to repair. It's time to you know, turn up mitochondrial um, activity, uh, mitosis, or not mitosis, but excuse me, um, uh, mitochondrial uh, regeneration. And um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's a, it, because we're really treating a system, you know, the body is a system of systems. And, um, and I didn't even ask, are we, are we, is this going to be on YouTube? Are we, do we have a video going here? Yeah, we will. We? Okay, great. Let me show you, let me show you this thing. Have you ever, have you ever seen a tensegrity structure? I don't think so. So this, this is, you know, my way that I've been, this is a, a model conceived by Buckminster Fuller. Yeah. You know? And Buckminster Fuller is amazing, brilliant thinker on all kinds of levels. Man, what's some great reading to get into? Read oh, some of yeah. his works. Unbelievable. Sure. But this is a, called a tensegrity structure. And it's really the, it's a structural model um, of, of integrity. That's what the dowel rods are. And tension, which are the rubber bands. And, and so none of these dowel rods touch each other. Yet you have a stable, resilient adaptive three-dimensional structure. And the fun thing about tensegrities, uh, this is actually the, you know, the main architecture of like the Epcot center. So yeah, this right. is how you're able to make a big geodesic dome. Yeah. Uh, but, but if you think about this conceptually, this is really how complex dynamic systems work. This is the easiest way I can hold up something and show somebody, this is what a system is. A system is a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. It's by how it's organized and the energy that is stored inside the connections of the components of the system. And, and human physiology and human biology and well, just humanity, we're, a comp we're the most complex systems of systems that exist, right? Yeah. And, and so when we when we're thinking about what's the most wholesome therapies we could have, well, the wholesome therapies are when we treat a system with a system. That's why lifestyle rules, right? Yeah, That's why getting sense. getting to bed, getting your sleep. I see you have uh, some uh, blue light blocking glasses on right now. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And, um, you know, so light, that's an amazing system that has huge effects. And uh, so anyway, I... I I'm always impressed when we're thinking more holistically and helping the body actually do the job of healing that it is enabled to do. And I, I always want to prioritize that over what, what's kind of the magic ingredient that goes in. Oh, we're going to look for those magic ingredients. Don't let, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Super excited about that too. But we, we tend to, and in a, I think in the U S we're very much about adding things in right more than more than simplifying and taking things away as, as a way forward. Yeah. Yeah. 
little zen a little zen there for you a little I, zen biology i love it it's it's the it's the balance it's the homeostasis it's the you know allowing the body to do what the body was designed to do what it evolved to do it's uh, it's what can we take out what happens when we take it out that to me that's the hallmark of 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 great health is to is to figure out how given this body that i have and all of its bumps and bruises and tbis or twisted ankles or stress like how can i increase the effectiveness of all my systems of systems so that i can live longer with more energy etc what yeah, do- that was really well said because you really brought up i mean the whole the whole basis of all my wild ride inside healthcare for the last 20 years, you know, starting at Vanderbilt and Mayo Clinic. And just, I got the bug at Mayo. I just realized, Hey, wait a second. Um, I'm, I've gotten really good at diagnosing and treating disease of naming, blaming and taming things. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but wait a second, what I went to medical school for was to actually help people create health. And when you realize that, hey, it's the body that creates health and, and get this, people who aren't doctors get this immediately. It's like, well, duh, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but our job is, you know, as physicians, I think my job is to be an expert in helping people to find, you know, what's their personal kryptonite? What are those things that they should remove out of their particular system that are most impactful for them? And then, and then, you know, kind of what's your personal ambrosia, you know, what's, Hmm. what are the things that are most important for you to add in? And, and then view, and then the body does the work. And I think that's, that's, what's remarkable about plasma exchange, because we're really not, we're really not in some ways going supra physiologic. We're actually just helping the body to be at a as cleaner, safer place. I think this is as a longevity therapy is going to be a, an absolute foundation. This one's not going away. And I think that most every comprehensive longevity uh, program that exists will contain some aspect of plasma um, filtration, removal, et cetera. I love that. What's your personal ambrosia? I love that. That's just that's such a cool idea. What what do most? I mean, what's the most common response that you get from people who have gone through uh, a therapeutic plasma exchange? Is it immediately? Do they feel like five years younger? Do they want to? They want to jump for joy? Do their their joints not creak? Like what's? What, I mean, you've seen this so many times. What's people's typical response? Yeah, we, we probably treated more. Yeah, um, it well, it's highly dependent upon the individual, right? So here's kind of a funny thing. It's like, well, what kind of response do you expect if your stem cells wake up and are more active? I don't know that you'd actually feel that, right? I mean, the, this is a this is a para, this is a para problem actually because deep healing at a cellular level. It takes a while to be transmitted up to the tissue and the organ and the organ system level to be experienced. Hmm. So judging like, hey, I took this and oh my gosh, now I feel like Superman. You know, that's actually a problem. You know, that's how we, that's how we heart hurt people is by hmm. giving them super stimulants and things like that. Right. So yeah, I want to just make level set there a second, just to think about how clean up, right? You clean up, you clean up a river, you clean up a watershed, 
And is it immediately teeming with fish? And hmm. is do all the do all the birds come back and the new? No, it takes time. Yeah. The first step is cleaning the environment, and then life has to do its work, right. and life has to continue to build forward. That being said, we've had some amazingly fun experiences. Um, you know, so like I said, I, I really have a passion around neurodegeneration, and I think that it, we have to stop living in denial. When it comes to memory loss, uh, denial is the big killer because denial keeps you from looking for anything to do about it. Hmm. And and we're I and with the Ambar study, we now know that, um, I, like I said before, this was a large study about over 500 people over 14 months, given either a placebo ex, a placebo exchange or an actual exchange. They did six big exchanges for a week, for six weeks, and then a tiny mini exchange once a month for uh, a year thereafter. And so they had about 18 exchanges in 14 months. And the people with moderate Alzheimer's disease, now that means that they are already institutionalized. There's nothing moderate about moderate Alzheimer's disease, but they're still able to walk and talk, uh, but they don't know family and friends. They had a slowing of their progression by nearly 60% over the course of those 14 months. Wow. But what's more interesting is in the mild Alzheimer's disease patients. Although there weren't, there, there needs to be more in the study to really be certain about these results. It was very clear, uh, if we're looking at trend, that there was improvement over those 14 months. So these are people who are already have enough dementia that they can't actually function on their own in some way of life. And therefore, they had a, um, uh, but they actually had improvement in many respects over that 14 months. When they did CSF studies, they saw, they saw that the CSF um, actually normalized for these individuals to a great degree. And when they did FTG PET scans, they saw that the metabolism of the brain actually improved dramatically. Hmm. So, or it, the, excuse me, the, the brain had less neuron loss than the individuals that got placebo. Huh. So fewer neurons died. I mean, amazing, amazing findings. So when it comes to actual patients, though, one of our mild Alzheimer's patients who had already been kind of going out of his business, I take care of a lot of business leaders and uh, entrepreneurs. And, uh, and he had already been exiting his business, he had to be turning things over, uh, very, you know, poor memory, you know, repeating things frequently, agitated, irritable, and his wife brought him to us. And that's almost always the case. You have to rely on the loved ones. Yeah. When you're looking at degeneration, it, this is the family needs to step up. The loved ones have to say, no, you need this uh, because it's very hard as a person to, to see the loss that you're having. Anyway, she brought him in and he, within the first uh, two sessions, um, he said, wow, the colors are brighter. I can see more clearly. And we went, well, that's odd. That's fascinating. And, um, and then after about six exchanges, he, he was improving substantially on his neurocognition tests that we do regularly. And by 12, his 12th exchange, we're having a conversation with him and his wife. 
And I say, well, how much better is he? She, he said, well, I'm back to running my business. I've gone back entirely. We had an incident at work where there was an industrial accident. And before I would have absolutely blown up. And he said, nope, I recognize that there was a problem. I just sat down and I reviewed our policy, reviewed our policy, and, um, and I addressed the problem that needed to be addressed. And, and he said, my mood was great. Um, and I feel better than I felt in years. And she said, you know, honestly, he's, he's as good, if not better than he's been in the entire 12 years she has known him. Wow. So, so I just, and it gives me chills to say this and, yeah. and we want to know why he, and again, we don't often get to work with patients at that stage. All too often people come in here when a lot of brain cells have already died. And I like to say, you know, we always have an opportunity to heal the sick, uh, raising the dead. That's mm -hmm. an entirely different job description. Right. And so with neurodegeneration, the earlier, the better um, is so important. Yeah. Anyway, so we've seen that we have seen improvements in, in, in our Parkinson's patients, um, improvements in their mobility, uh, their initiative, uh, their mood. And, and, I, and I have a whole bunch of hypotheses behind this because, you know, when you're shifting an entire system, what's really happening? Yeah. Right. There's so many things happening to attribute, um, attribute all of the causation to one factor is really going back to kind of a linear pharmaceutical model hmm. when instead we have to embrace the outcomes from a complex therapy uh, and track complex, complex results. So, wow. Wow. So we've got the autoimmune application. We've got the neurodegenerative uh, application. And what was the third one? Well, longevity, longevity, biohacking. You yeah. know, I have a, a, a pretty substantial population of biohackers and a lot of folks that are with Dave Asprey and Ben Greenfield and, and such like that, that seek us out. And, uh, and, and they've been really amazing because at being so fascinated with what the data is, is inside their own bodies, they're helping us understand this process. I'm really hmm. grateful to their you know, the passion people have to live the fullest version of their lives. And, and, you know, that's, that's, you know, in the end, that's my job is to help them, you know, achieve their human potential and, and enjoy their well-being. And, uh, and I, I think that the biohacking world, so we have seen shifts of up to six years after a single plasma exchange, uh, when we're looking at DNA methylation patterns. And there's, we usually are not looking at things in a vacuum. You know, we're, we're always looking at the whole person, but um, we've got another cohort and we're studying to, to track those outcomes and to really see what are the variables that enable the best outcomes possible. Yeah. So, so if, someone, if someone was interested and they wanted to come do the work with you and they had previously done... Um, a bunch of blood markers and then brought that to you. Does that, does that help in your process of, uh, of determining sort of course of treatment? Yeah, we're, we're data hogs. Yeah. I mean, we, we are, our, our clinic, we, 
think we have contracts with 32 labs across the world. We probably have one of the largest ex the laboratory uh, repertoires. And, and, and what's most important is to find, you know, what are those hot buttons? You know, what are, what are the fewest number of labs you can do to get the most information for your particular situation? That, but it takes doing a lot of labs to find out what those are usually. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, right. If you're, if you're going to take kind of a, uh, you know, a systems approach and say, where, where are all the weak links in this chain? And how can we find those and start to address those? Um, but yeah, absolutely. We review existing labs and every person should, I hate protocols. You know, I, I really do. I think that all too often they occur not because of improving quality, but of, of dumbing things down so that, uh, yeah, you know, so that you don't have to think as much. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and I think there's great value into asking, why did this person get into the situation they're in? You know, the question of why could be, why are they so ridiculously healthy? <laughs> you know, why are they so incredibly robust? You know, I have one of my dear patients uh, who's been committed to a very robust, healthy life. He's 16 years younger than his uh, DNA methylation patterns. His, wow. His, his telomeres are about 14 years younger than his chronologic age. Wow. And, um, but you know, he puts in the time. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be the, that would be the guy that you'd want to ask him a thousand questions about his lifestyle and what he eats and how much he sleeps. And, you know, yeah, that would be, that would be super interesting to, to one, one of one of the one of the highest performance humans I have ever known. Wow. So, oh so, my goodness. So not 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 somebody slacking on anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope I hope he has some fun in his life too. You know, I hope he can I hope I wonder what his vices are. No, I'm curious. Is, you know, like is it uh is it gambling? Is it uh cupcake once a month or once a year or something? I'd just be curious about it. Well, you'd have to ask him because I would never say. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're doing, keep it up, man. Just keep going. So, so, so what is what is the process of of determining the quality of your plasmas? The only, I mean, the only way is just to pull it out and 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 analyze it. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, I mean that's basically it, but. It's just such a complex moiety. Um, I mean, if you want to do a full analysis of your plasma, um, you know, you're doing large-scale metabolomics, uh, immunomics, uh, proteomics, and, and you're doing so, in, and then actually understanding what your, your chemistries are as well. So what's the total toxic load? Um, you know, we're nowhere close to... 360 evaluation. I mean, it, I, I've been a consultant with multiple different uh, omics labs, and it's really challenging to do really good science on the patient level. You know, you, know, you see the things that are done for studies, and that's usually you're aggregating a bunch of blood samples and 
putting them all through a special protocol. It's a big leap for these labs to then make it clinically available and make it clinically available at a reasonable cost. Um, I'm sorry, it's probably not exactly what you're asking, but the this is where clinical wisdom comes in. You know, this is actually where your story makes a difference. You know, when were you last well? And then what happened? You know, trying to do some pattern recognition ahead of time so that you're making the very best investment possible uh, with your limited resources. And I think that's one, it's an important thing to recognize. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire, you still have limited resources. You know, you have limited resources of, of time, of relationship, of focus, of energy. And, and, and we, we want to live our lives as we're seeking to have vibrant health and longevity to 120 and beyond. Yeah. You know, this, if yeah. this is really about living, uh, our clinic is called Maxwell Clinic. And it max is really around, you know, max, maximizing. And you can think of it like the inhale right? You, you, you get bigger, you, know, you, you expand more, better, faster, max. It's kind of the Western idea. Yeah. And then, and then you have well, and well is the soulful surrender into the moment. It's the enjoyment of now. It's being. And so we have doing and we have being. We have inhale, we have exhale, and then we have max, we have well. And you really need to have both if you're going to experience uh, the most robust human experience that's possible so beautiful well stated thank you for that yeah. you said you threw out the you threw out the the age 120 uh so i'm gonna uh go there a little bit you know lifespan is a lot different than health span um are you in the camp the sort of dave asprey camp thinking that that you know a 38 year old right now with increasing resources and maybe lots and lots of resources um, over the course of the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of my life. Are you thinking that we are going to see more and more 120 plus year olds who have the cognition of a 60 year old and a, you know, a, a body of a 50 year old? I mean, is that, is that, is that feasible? Is that where we're going? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it's, you know, again, uh, the more birthdays that you've already accumulated, the harder that's going to be, you know, starting young and uh, the process regeneration and repair early um, and decreasing the amount of damage. You know, aging is really just the sum total of how much degeneration do you have as opposed to regeneration in any given time period. Mm -hmm. And that's what we call aging. And so, yeah, I'm very optimistic. Um, We're and I wasn't five years ago. Really, so this is yeah. I mean, I got you know, gosh, you know, about oh seven years ago. I mean, I got into this really dug into the longevity space because I was doing an initial visit with a C level employee, you know, C level guy from Silicon Valley who's one of those people who's changed the world enough that you listen and. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I asked him, well, what do you want to achieve by working together? And he said, well, I want to live forever. And, and, you know, I, and I, and at that moment in time, I was like, yeah, pfft, you know, and part of me started to go like, oh boy. 
And then I went, you know, why not? What if, what if we change, what if we change our viewpoint? What if, you know, what, what am I missing about understanding the world with a foregone conclusion of what's possible? And, and how is that actually serving me? And I went, well, I am going to, I am going to suspend my disbelief and I am going to approach this as if this is possible. Mm-hmm. And I did a very comprehensive review then of, you know, what was actually, what had legs in the longevity space. And it was really slim picking seven years ago. Yeah. There wasn't much that I think had, uh, you know, when you look at the safety efficacy, but I think there's a tremendous number of opportunities coming around and it's, it, everybody wants that one blockbuster, right? Sure. Oh, this is going to fix it, but I'm going to tell you, guess what? We're a system of systems. Yeah. And if you fix one thing too well, it's going to break something else. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, that's provocative. You're right. I mean, it makes sense, right? Okay. So I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm an I'm an old farm boy from South Dakota. I'm missed. I'm practical, practical, practical. It's just about outcomes, and try to read the signs of how nature actually works, and um, that's just something we've typically seen. You know, we've got all kinds of things in agriculture where we can put on more fertilizer, or we can do this growth. There, it's it's hard not to have a price to pay somewhere. So yeah. that's that's why a systems-based approach is really going to be important for healthy and safe uh, uh, longevity enhancement. So what are- our nutrition, our nutrition, oh my gosh, our nutrition, yeah. you know, we need to, we live in a dystopia when it comes to our nourishment. When we think of, of, of how much uh, oppression is represented in our food and how non-precise our food is as a foundation of our all of our well-being, you know, the the ability to, and we're getting here. We're getting to the ability to be able to truly understand what is the optimal nourishment for an individual, and then be able to deliver that to them in a way that is supportive to the earth. You know, that is has the the least burden upon our planet. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's a there's a lot of aspects to when you want to think about what is successful aging. Uh, it's not just for one of us. It has to be, it, it, we have to, age, we have to age well as, as a community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We need each other. We need each other. That's that much is clear. I know we're, we're kind of coming up towards, towards the end of our conversation, but um, for, for people who are maybe is the first time they've listened to this podcast and they're, and they're hearing this episode and they're sort of new to biohacking and longevity. What are some, I mean, uh, sleep, stress, nutrition, movement, breath, all these things, of course, but what, what are some things that either compounds or nutritional supplements or, or things that, that you do like that you think do make sense and do contribute to longevity? Sure. Sure. Well, I'll say number one, that list is fasting. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I'm sure you've done a bunch of episodes on fasting. Yep. You, you know, if you haven't, you need to, because it's profound. The, the, uh, the stem cell stimulation, the uh, autophagy, mitophagy, all, all the offages, right? All <laughs> are all good there. Yeah. And um, so that's, that would be one thing. Um, you know, a product I'm really excited about right now is something called Endocalyx Pro. 
Mm-hmm. And endocalyx pro is uh, something that nurtures the glycocalyx. The glycocalyx is uh, a liquid, it's almost like a Teflon lining in the inside of your blood vessels. You know, it is, it is what makes it, what hold your capillaries open when there's no blood in there. Huh. It, it is in your glycocalyx is actually the, the tissue, or I would say the matrix that is assaulted by COVID the most. Hmm. COVID really actually is a microvascular problem. Most right. of many, many of the problems have to do with the microvascular. And, and, um, and this was, we have a, 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 we have a tool in our clinic where we can actually measure the microvasculature. So it's a micro camera we put under the tongue and we can watch red blood cells go through the capillaries. And then we take about a hundred thousand images, about a thousand measurements per image. And we're able to calculate the thickness of this glycocalyx, um, you know, how slippery it is, how many four, five, and six micron capillaries you have, uh, you know, how well your tissue is actually able to perfuse. And that's um, it's, it's a whole other topic, but cool. you really start thinking about thinking about health, it has everything to do with our microvasculature. Why is diabetes such a God awful problem? Because it's glycating this glycocalyx. Hmm. It's injuring and giving an oxidative stress burden. Why is inflammation such a problem? Well, partly because it denudes this glycocalyx and, and where the glycocalyx gets eroded on the inside of your vasculature, that's where endothelial dysfunction starts. And with endothelial dysfunction, that's where you start getting invagination of lipoproteins, inflammation, et cetera. Some of the main, you know, and um, yeah, so um, uh, that that's something I think is, is actually very useful. That's cool. Um, and that's a, uh, yeah. Okay. Pretty, 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 pretty fun stuff. This can be based on anything and everything that you know. If you would, please fill in the blank. Everyone yeah. would benefit from knowing that their body is designed to create health. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And, and also that curiosity heals the human. And and that's, that's a, that's a terribly cheesy uh, plug for my book, which is called curiosity heals the human, but I actually mean it very much. So, I mean that the only way we can have better answers is by asking better questions. And uh, I think that's some of our, 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 our greatest opportunity. Whenever somebody's stuck, they're stuck because they're asking the wrong question. And, and that's, that's really an, an incredible point of freedom. If you can't find better questions to get better answers, then you need to find, find somebody who will ask different questions. Uh, and, and then we have a, a whole new round of potential. So beautiful. Sorry. Awesome. Dr. David Hossie, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. You bet. Thank you, Sean. Take care. Yeah. Bye now.